Welcome to the Wise Birth Radio. We are women, students, and mamas exploring healthy pregnancies, empowered birth, nurtured postpartum, and natural parenting from a holistic, intuitive, and grounded experience. We share knowledge through interviews, stories, and musings. We hope to inspire you to take charge of your childbearing journey for yourself and your family. This show is intended to spark your own curiosity and encourage you to listen to your body, your baby, and your intuition. I'm Mabel. And I'm Sarah. And we are your hosts on Wise Birth Radio. So today, I'm very excited to have a guest on the show. Um, Nico and I connected through Indie Birth, through their community platform. Nico Kennedy is a perinatal quantum biology practitioner and certified labor and postpartum doula. She has a BS in biopsychology from the University of Oregon and is the creator of Brighter Days, Darker Nights, a substack publication dedicated to promoting circadian rhythmicity and quantum wellness in pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. She is also a frequent podcast guest. Before starting her birth business, Nico worked as an online marketing and business manager for nearly a decade, serving a variety of individuals, partnerships, family businesses, and nonprofits. She lives in beautiful Southern Oregon with her husband and their four children. And we did this Zoom call when she was actually outside, so I got to see some of their beautiful orchard. And before, well, not before anything, and now let's dive into the episode. So welcome, everyone. We have a guest today. Our guest is Nico Kennedy. And we were, were we in the same class at Indie Birth Window Free School? Um, I'm in the social network and I took 13 moons and I took okay. their, um, their, po- their placenta birth course. And I took their intro to radical midwifery, but I haven't gotcha. done the doula or the midwifery training. I would really like to, but it's, uh, resource wise time, particularly time resource wise. Um, I have four children and I'm kind mm-hmm. of in the middle of a business launch myself. So I'm watching their work very carefully. I love mm-hmm. what they're doing and the perspective they bring. Um, so yeah, that's, how I think how I, yeah, I found, uh, you. Yeah. We were connected through Indie Birth. I think initially you posted, you were like, does anyone want to review my website? And I looked at, it, I was like, this is just so beautiful. And I don't really understand what any of this is about, but I'd like to. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's beautiful. And that website I actually took down oh, yeah. <laughs> and re- rebuilt everything. Yeah. I was calling myself Sunkiss Birth for a while mm-hmm. and then realized it was a little bit confusing because I'm also Brighter Days, Darker Nights. And then also Nico K. So I've been kind of on the journey and eventually I decided that having my name and two business names was more than I wanted to keep up since it's mm-hmm. just me myself. So that was Sun Kiss Birth, which was a really beautiful site. And I want to put more of the content up on my main mm-hmm. website right now. I just haven't had the time to do it. But my idea with that is that being connected to the sunshine is really beneficial for fertility and for childbirth in ways Mm -hmm. that aren't really talked about as much. Like I think a lot of people talk about nature. Um, Marin, one of the co-founders of Indie Birth for if there's anyone listening that's not familiar with their work, I loved her. She did a 10 steps for a powerful birth podcast and she had nature as her number two step. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, of course. And so kind of my whole work is focused on that piece right there and so what 
you know, for her was step number two. I kind of can, would just talk for hours about the benefits of sunshine, darkness, um, earthing, following the seasons, all of that. And I bring a scientific perspective about how that specifically affects our hormones uh, Mm -hmm. because all of our fertility hormones are cycled through the circadian rhythm. So we don't necessarily think about that. We think of it as like a monthly cycle, but there's actually a daily piece that is what yokes us to the monthly cycle and the seasonal cycles. Yeah, this is something that I've been thinking about recently because I feel like I at least see so much content of, oh, men are on this like the daily circadian cycle and women are on a 28-ish day infradian cycle. And just thinking about yeah. in all aspects of our life, we have these cycles within cycles and how can we honor all of these levels of things and not just say, oh, we're women, we're lunar, we don't have to think about the sun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And one of the things that I find really interesting too, I like studying mythology and around the world, in some places, the sun is masculine and the moon is feminine, but in other places, the moon is masculine and is feminine. So it kind of depends on which cultural heritage you're in, um, which of those, you know, how they told stories about it. So I think that that's really interesting. And like you were talking about how they talk about men having this daily cycle, but they don't talk about how the creation of sperm is on like a 60 day cycle. Uh And so men actually have a longer cycle that they're going through. And I talk about this when it comes to like fertility prep and preconception that ideally a man will be taking care of himself extra special for a full 60 days before Mm. the time of conception, um, just because of the way the male physiology works. So they actually have longer cycles that they should be thinking about, not just the daily. So there's a couple ways that that men have the daily cycle and women have the monthly cycle kind of falls short for both Mm -hmm. camps. That's so cool. And that makes so much sense. Yeah. So let's start with preconception, fertility, maybe focusing on women. What are, Mm -hmm. I guess, could you give us like a brief breakdown of the way that these circadian rhythms, this interaction with the sun and nature impacts our fertility? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So there's a couple angles that we could come at this from when talking about hormones, which is where most people start. um, We have our, our sex hormones actually are surged at a particular time of day which is at the end of our resting cycle. So that's when we first wake up in the morning. And so it's uh, funneled through the circadian rhythm is actually helping regulate that process. So if you go out and get morning sunshine and trigger a strong circadian response first thing in the morning, that actually triggers a stronger hormonal response that is what is going to trigger the ovulation process. So that actually happens at a time of day. I didn't know that. And I haven't seen a lot of people talking about it, but there's Uh a specific time of day that that should be happening. Um, and then the other thing is the circadian rhythm. Like the other thing we always talk about is nutrition for women and people don't talk about how, uh, digestion is controlled by the circadian rhythm. So having a strong circadian rhythm also creates stronger digestion. So we actually get the most out of all of the prenatal nutrition that we're doing. And a lot of times, I mean, so many women I've talked to and they're like, okay, well, I'm upping my protein and taking my prenatal and oh my gosh, I have such terrible gas <laughs> and um, all of these like digestive complaints. And it turns out that they're, you know, have these really long eating windows and they're oftentimes skipping breakfast. 
Mm-hmm. And then across the day, they're con- you know, c- consecutively eating more and more and more and then snacking into the night. And so, yes, they are getting what bulk nutrition they would need, but they're not necessarily getting at the time of day that their body's most primed to digest mm-hmm. it, which would be early in the morning. So if it's possible to front load uh, protein in the morning, then that's actually easier for the body to digest it. And, um, and is just another way that the rhythm of the day can make a big impact on everything else that's going. So it's a really great supportive therapy, um, or maybe we wouldn't call it therapy, but there's supportive lifestyle choices that can optimize everything else that someone's doing to mm-hmm. um, build up their fertility. And then when we look at the uh, sickness side of things, which isn't as fun, but there's so much research about like everything like PCOS and endometriosis and like all the main most common causes of reversible infertility, then they're usually related to uh, the body's redox status, which is kind of how many electrons are flowing. And so that's where like most people are, you know, wearing rubber shoes and spending tons of time inside every day. And so they're not absorbing electrons from the ground or from the photoelectric effect of the sunlight that we Mm -hmm. would have been getting ancestrally. And so a lot of people are just kind of generally low energy, uh, which is, it's kind of confusing because when we talk about like metaphysical or move, we talk about positive is good and negative is bad. But when we're talking about states in the body, healthy cells have a net negative charge. And that means Mm. that they're rich in electrons. And so when people live a really indoor lifestyle, then they get to be more of a positive charge and the cells can't produce as much work. And so in the context of electricity, like we want the connection, the the attraction between positive and negative, but positive doesn't mean good and negative mean Uh bad in that context, right? (laughs) So the language there is a little bit tricky. And I kind of wish that we had better language to describe all of this that was more accessible because the confusingness of this and like the scientific jargon is part of why I think that people don't understand more about it but it's really pretty basic to see sunshine in the day and then actually have a dark bedroom and the darkness is then the last piece like we have the morning sunlight we have the front loaded high protein morning meal then darkness is so important because that's when our brain will release melatonin and if we don't have enough melatonin Um, then like, no one told me that melatonin was a reproductive hormone. Um, I didn't know that, but if you look in the research, like, oh, here's melatonin in the list of all of the reproductive hormones. And so the melatonin that's under circadian control is really important in the night. And a lot of people are just having too much nightlight. Um, basically like 99% of people in the U S have excessive artificial light at night. Mm-hmm. Um, which is highly implicated in breast cancer. And it's also just really, really, and through melatonin, because melatonin is so important in scavenging free radicals and helping our body to heal and keeping our mitochondria, which are what produce energy in our body, um, healthy through melatonin. So melatonin cycles really, really, really are important. Um, so that was where I started in my journey was actually with limiting artificial light at night. And before sunrise, um, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but as a mom, I'm often up before the sun, especially uh, in the winter time, which it mm-hmm. is right now. Uh, you know, my my babies wake up early, and so we're up before the sunlight, and so we don't just flip on all the lights first thing, even though we're awake. Um, because if you wake up and stay in a dim environment, you can stay in that melatonin state. Mm. 
Um, so disrupted melatonin in pregnancy is associated, I know we're talking fertility, but it's associated with infertility. But once we get into pregnancy, it's so important for maintaining a healthy pregnancy and a healthy placenta. Mm. And, um, you know, it's associated with like preeclampsia, if you don't have enough of it with growth restriction, with a lot of the things that are really like the most mysterious, uh, pregnancy problems and most common, um, are all, uh, related to disrupted melatonin. And so I had no idea. Okay, cool. Yeah. It's, it's something, you know, like they'll tell pregnant women, oh, you need to focus on your sleep. Yeah, for sure. But what does that actually mean? But, but what does that actually mean? Yeah. So that's where I like to have like these specific things like, well, focusing on your sleep means limiting the artificial light at night. And it also means getting up to see that morning sunlight and have that protein loaded front meal uh, because that is what's going to prime your body to actually be ready to sleep at night. And to have that be a really healing experience and um, keeping the lights dim, like um, it takes a couple of hours for the brain to actually start producing melatonin after the darkness. So especially in pregnancy, when women start having to go pee all the time, if they're not mindful of their light environment, then they could end up accidentally uh, stopping their body from producing melatonin all night long. If you think about if you keep the lights on all the way until you go to bed, then you turn the lights off and you lay down. And then it's been a couple of hours and your body's just starting to produce melatonin. Then you have to wake up to go pee. You Mm -hmm. wake up and you turn the hall light on and then you turn your bath light on. And then instantly that triggers your body to start releasing cortisol in the middle of the night. And then turn your lights off and you go back to bed, fall asleep for a few more hours. Your body's just about to start producing melatonin again. Then you wake up and you need to go pee or you're thirsty. And so then you go Mm -hmm. and you get a water, maybe even a snack if you're pregnant, if you're pregnant. And then... Um, if you're doing that with the light, like opening the fridge, as soon as you open the fridge, if you have a regular um, blue light in your refrigerator, then that's going to start your body doing cortisol again in the middle of the night. And cortisol uh-huh. is only supposed to be a daytime hormone. Um, you know, we talk about cortisol as like the stress hormone. And um, it is really the wakefulness hormone, but it's triggered by bright lights. And so people are having too much of it and it doesn't fall properly in the night because of the lights that we have, which no one really told us that they were bad. Um, uh-uh. And particularly like the more energy efficient the light is, then the the worse it is for the circadian rhythm, basically, because it is missing um, the warm frequencies and the warm frequencies are healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, infrared light actually stimulates melatonin in the cells. So if we have more warm, like we used to have incandescent light bulbs, which are getting, you know, banned in a lot of places they're so hard to find yeah and that incandescent is kind of actually pretty similar to sunset light Mm. which is not nearly as detrimental as these like fluorescent and blue enriched led lights that have this peak that is really really stimulating of cortisol Mm. Uh, so when it comes to the fertility hormones um like most of the hormones are made from cholesterol and then basically depending on what kind of light the body receives, it will turn that cholesterol either into, um, like, so it goes cholesterol and then pregnenolone. And then from pregnenolone, it goes out into all of the different, uh, reproductive hormones, Mm -hmm. but there's this cortisol is also created from that. And so if it's just all of this naked blue light, then it tends to go towards cholesterol. So then you see low progesterone and issues like that because of the light environment. And people don't think about that. Um, 
because we're, we're not told, like I've had a lot of education and I didn't get it in any of my textbooks. I had to go actually read the scientific research, um, yeah. which I was prepared to do, um, you know, for my background, like I have a science degree and I, you know, learned all about research design and statistics and all of this stuff, you know, the biology of it. And so I can go in and read these things, but it had, it's a lot of this is such new research. It hasn't really made it into like everyday textbooks about hormones mm -hmm. and fertility and care of the pregnant woman and all of that stuff. So that's where I'm really trying to make this information more accessible to people uh, so that they can have better experiences. And, um, you know, like mood disorders are so common. And if you look at research in animals, they can basically induce depression with oh. artificial light at night. And so when like the postpartum period is another time, like babies need to care around the clock. And so for families that don't know about um, the challenges, you know, what blue light does, if they're just flipping on their regular LED lights at night, then that's tanking their melatonin, which is what should be resting and rejuvenating them. And mm. so that's why for this physiological it's really normal to be up all night taking care of a baby and you should wake up in the morning feeling great after taking mm. care of a baby all night long. Like this idea that it's an exhausting period, like, yes, it is a high energy demand period, but if we can meet our energy demands and meet our um, healing demands with melatonin, with um, having this, like I'm talking about the electrical body being charged with nature then that actually gives the energy for that process that is lacking for so many people. And that's part of why they're having such a hard time through this postpartum period is the lack of social support, which I know you guys are doing a great job <laughs> over there. I love seeing what all of the postpartum work that you're doing is like, yes, 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 yes. Um, and so I just wrote a post um, for Brighter Days, Darker Nights about postpartum and the different stages of newborn baby development getting ready to talk with you I was like okay let's get this really clear and laid out because you're doing such a great job and I love that like you know I just doubt a bunch of science on you <laughs> and that's great it just completely nestles in with traditional care um yeah right? that's what I was like gonna say. in postpartum we think about warming up the mom we think about giving her that nice cozy dim snuggly environment mm -hmm. um, we're giving her warm broths and warm soups and all of that warmth is actually nurturing her cells at the level of the mitochondria mm -hmm. so I'm like oh like of course you know mom's just been through a lot we're gonna heat her up because that's what's gonna help her give the energy you know, give her cells the energy to heal. Um, one of my other big talking points is like, nutrition's not enough. Like we can't grow a healthy baby on nutrients alone. Like we could put all the nutrients in the world into a blender and no matter how much we blend it, it's not going to turn into a baby. Like only the magic of a woman can create a baby. Um, and, you know, we're powered by the earth and the connection to the sun and earth. So when we get that organized energy from, um, the, you know, like the earth has an electrical charge that's a specific frequency that we're actually attuned to. And it sounds really woo and maybe kind of fruity to be like, we need nature, but it's just so absolutely true. And so actually verified by the research, like you can go to my blog and look and like, here's all these scientific studies showing instant results when people connect to the, you know, electrical field of the earth. So it, it's not actually... Um, weird at all and we we know it to be true um, and we have traditions around the truth of it.
Yeah. And it, on the one hand, there is now this science coming in to back it up, which is most of the time completely over my head. But to me, you just think about it like if we were foxes, this is what we would have. It would be dark at night. We would be outside in contact with the ground, in contact with the sun during the day. And it's, yeah. it can be complicated if you choose to go into that. And you can also just simplify it to what is it like in nature? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's so important. And when we are looking at birth, that's the number one request. Like they've done studies of midwives and women. And what's the number one request that they have that is missing from the modern birth suite? And it's access to nature. Mm. So many of them are upstairs. You can't even open a window. That's terrible and does not mm. at all fit with what we're talking about here with nature. And it's terrible that women who are of the highest risk, right? Like early onset preeclampsia, for example, um, get prescribed bed rest. Mm. And so then that's an extreme circadian disruption um, because the indoor lighting is not good. And if the windows can't be open, so it's just really terrible um, that birthing suites aren't designed with this in mind. So people are working on light bulbs that are, you know, shifting. So they're more blue in the day and then going to that red environment at night. Hmm. And it's important for people who are inside of that kind of environment to be mindful of the light, especially when there isn't access to nature. But what women want and what midwives want is definitely access to nature to be able to, um, step outside and for me personally it's made a huge difference like um three of my births I've had at home and was able to go outside during the day mm -hmm. and it's really important because going outside we get all of the solar stimulation that produces high serotonin which uh people are the scientists are speculating the serotonin is what gives the transcendental experiences in labor mm. And, you know, people go to an otherworldly state, they were looking They, you know, a bunch of people wanted it to be DMT, and they were looking for DMT release during labor. Well, it turns out, it, you know, there's not DMT, but there is huge floods of serotonin in women that are having these like really powerful spiritual experiences, and sunlight helps to facilitate that. And then the other really amazing thing about serotonin is that under the cover of darkness, which think about it goes, you know, sun said and then it's safe and we go inside to our dark cave and then the serotonin gets converted to melatonin um they both come from tryptophan so you know again the protein question but um the serotonin gets converted to melatonin and then that melatonin is actually what preps the uterine muscle to be receptive to oxytocin mm -hmm. so high circulating melatonin is correlated with higher with stronger contractions and it also has pain regulating functions so those strong contractions actually feel less painful to women. Mm -hmm. So it's really important for the birth suite. And, you know, you're in physiological care. So you know this, that women generally like the birth suite to be nice and calm and dark and quiet. And that's another place where women who have high risk pregnancies that have to birth in hospitals have oftentimes the opposite of that. These really bright blue environments that are more facilitating of a cortisol type, um, environment and so in that cortisol type environment that that creates more pain because the the melatonin should be helping to deal with that pain and the melatonin's getting um, bumped over mm. it, it, to make way for the cortisol just based on the light environment alone and they know that for example you can take a green light and if you shine a green light into a laboring woman's eyes her contractions will slow down 
um, there's specific things that light does. And so I've had that, like for my home births, I would wake up and labor and then kind of labor around the house and go outside. Um, this last one, I took a walk down to the river and went swimming, which was really beautiful and, you know, walk around and then at night. And then as soon as sunset hits, then I would basically have like a nearly precipitous labor of like, boom, just, and then, you know, baby would come really quickly. Um, Whereas I had a hospital labor with my third, with my second, I mean, and in that case, you know, I went in and I was dilated, I was having contractions and then everything just slowed down and, and just ground to a halt. And it was days of that. It was a 49 hour experience. Uh-huh. And of course, once I was checked in, I wasn't a lot, you know, they're like, well, you know, you can leave, but it will be acts, you know, against your provider's mm-hmm. requirements. And like in that time I was, you know, dealing with insurance and wanted the insurance to pay for it. And so I didn't want to do that and get billed for this thing that I couldn't afford. And mm-hmm. there was all kinds of stuff. So eventually I did, you know, I still had my you know, my good vaginal labor and he was born in the middle of the night, but it was such a big difference between that and my home birth. So now, now that I know what I know about lighting, um, and the cortisol melatonin pole, I'm like, Oh, well that completely makes sense. Why that was such a, a different experience compared with being able to, um, labor outside during the day. And I wonder what would have happened there if they just would have had an outside area where I could have gone during the daytime to have that more gentle labor rather than just like trying to push labor further in when that wasn't what my body was you know being told by Mm -hmm. the light environment that sounds so nice my son was born in the middle of January up here in New York so there was no going outside really and (laughs) I'm thinking about this also in relation to the postpartum time like there's no way I would have wanted a window open we rarely got any sun yeah. And that's, that is the way yeah. that it is around here. It's not unnatural, but how do we work with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. Well, the dim, dark, cold environment. So um, I talk about this also in turn, like, cause vitamin D is another big talking point, right? We for know sure. that vitamin D is highly associated with, you know, good fertility and good overall health. Um, and that is a, a reality that is shifting across year that's what I was talking about the circadian rhythm is what yields us to the seeds on a day-to-day basis and so we do kind of shift from like a vitamin d reality in the summer into a more of a melatonin reality in the winter and mm. so for those winter babies the way that people used to do it I mean like you said you're inside you want it to be warm and so if you keep the lighting really low um the way that it is outside and then what happens is that the body will actually shift into a polyphasic sleep rhythm. So in when darkness becomes more than 14 hours per day, then we naturally will have like a four hour sleep and then wake up for an hour or two and then have another four hour sleep. Uh-huh. Um, and that is just based on the light entrainment on our circadian rhythm. And it makes sense in like an ancestral context. If you think of those long, dark nights that you would need to be waking up to stoke the fire and check on your animals and all of that and maybe enjoy some moonlight or you know the constellations or if it's not storming you know but there would be chores in the middle of the night to get through that long dark without freezing to death so um and then also that's how the animal sleeps like no none of the animals sleep in an eight hour consolidated sleep window and Mm -hmm. um that it turns out is basically just a 
human construct of having 16 hours of artificial light. But there's a lot of historical documents saying that that polyphasic sleep rhythm is how people used to sleep, and then we can recreate it That's in so cool. a lab that if you put people in there, then we naturally sleep. And it's so helpful for postpartum time. Um, so that can actually be extended all the way out into um, four sleeps, which is like, that's how NICU environments are run. There's four care times to get baby care around the clock in a, you know, methodical way. But that's what new babies need is that care around the clock. So um, for the first little bit of postpartum time, we do usually have um, mama and baby in a bedroom in a closed, um, dark, right? Like babies like a dim environment. Their eyes aren't quite going yet. And so they really will be more awake and active um, when it's dim. And if it gets too bright for them, they usually just close their eyes and are like, <laughs> you know, turn away from it mm -hmm. because that's not really physiological for them. So the first, you know, month or so of time generally should just be a dim, dark, warm, safe, cozy little nest, kind of a hibernating space. And that will facilitate a greater melatonin secretion for the mom and the melatonin is transmitted through the breast milk. So it takes um, a while before the baby's actually able to start creating its own melatonin. So breastfeeding is really physiologically the very best thing for getting baby's program, baby's rhythm programmed in those early days. And then once baby is starting to be a little bit stronger and mom's feeling healed up, then a lot of uh, cultures used to have um, a ceremony where they would introduce their baby to the sun um, and also the moon. And so that would be like a momentous occasion, like baby's going to go get some sunlight. And that usually would correspond with around the time that they're starting to have melatonin of their own at night. And then, and their wake rhythm, uh, the wake rhythm starts developing before the sleep rhythm. So once mama and baby are healed up and are ready to go out, then you would go out in the sunrise, like early morning time, because that's when the light's not so intense and introduce baby to the sun, start getting that infrared, start getting that programming. And that morning sunlight is really what's going to um, help babies start having more time awake in the day and eventually develop their sleep rhythm, which kind of happens across the first year. Um, by the time babies are one year old or even six months, they're generally sleeping a lot more in the night and the day. That's interesting because definitely something I've heard midwives say before is like, oh, it's really good for newborn babies to get time in the sun through a window, especially for jaundice and things like that. It's an interesting mm -hmm. perspective. Yeah. yeah, it is, especially in the daytime and uh, jaundice. Yeah, I, I actually created an entire uh, course around the topic of newborn jaundice because this mm -hmm. is one of the areas that the modern paradigm has really not kept up with the research. Totally. And there's actually a lot that moms can do while the baby's in the womb to protect their baby from having jaundice. And then, yes, the phototherapy. Um, and if you think about how light is a treatment for jaundice, then it kind of makes sense that the uh, mom having an imbalanced light environment during pregnancy is what's causing that baby to be born with kind of a deficiency of light and mm. electrons um, that the jaundice is a response to because... Um, uh, bilirubin, which is the pigment that jaundice is created by, is uh, degraded by sunlight, right? That's what makes that what breaks it into a form that it can be moved out of the body. Um, but bilirubin, sometimes it can also get brought back into the body through the intestine. So that's where they talk about like trying to get baby to poop more to release uh -huh. all of that. Um, but the body actually has a mechanism to reabsorb bilirubin 
And when it does that, it actually releases a lot of electrons inside the body. And so they're now finding that uh, physiological newborn jaundice is actually a process that the baby is using to fight a, a overly oxidative state. So um, oxidative stress is normal for a newborn because they're breathing oxygen for the first mm-hmm. time. And it's a big change for them. But in babies that aren't fully healthy, if they have, um, if their moms had a lot of disruption, then a lot of times they're actually born with too much like oxidative stress. And so Mm. the body will reuptake the bilirubin in order to get extra electrons to um, fight the oxidative stress and balance it out so that they have the right levels. So, um, that is something that can be prevented by mom having more sunshine, more grounding, more protein, all of the things that we want to see mom connected with nature. And then that can help her baby be born full term and happy and healthy. And the the jaundice isn't really a problem unless it crosses the blood brain barrier, which mm-hmm. again, it, the blood brain barrier is going to be supported by all of these same things. Um, the collagen network is extremely responsive to um to sunlight and it moves electrical charges all throughout the body. Collagen is an amazing substance. We've talked about fascial work and things like that are really popular right now, I think, Mm -hmm. and people who are doing somatic work. And um, infrared sunlight actually stimulates collagen production too. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that the, um, when babies have jaundice and they're in a hospital, they get a naked blue light because that's what deals with the um with the pigment that's what breaks mm-hmm. the pigment down but the infrared is what nourishes mitochondria and also stimulates collagen production and the mitochondria and collagen are what will build the blood brain barrier for the baby to prevent the jaundice from causing brain damage um and it also along the lines of the electrical healing grounded incubators have been researched and proven beneficial, uh, but they're not really implemented yet. So that's another mm-hmm. future that we'll see. I could believe in the future, the birthing suite and the NICU environment, will be seeing the, the light going up and down in brightness as well as frequency. And then we'll also see the a lot more attention paid to the electrical fields mm-hmm. and uh, grounded spaces because it's just really clear you can watch like in adults that have jaundice you can put them into a grounded sleep arrangement and after one night just watch their bilirubin plummet yeah so there's really a whole horizon of like natural healing like literally from nature Mm -hmm. from the natural electrical field from the natural sunlight from the natural darkness um that will be able to transform uh medicine for the better and also just you know everyday care too yeah, that's such an amazing perspective. And I love hearing about new things that at one point we thought were a pathology and actually it's just a look, it's our bodies doing exactly what it needs to do. Yeah, 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 I appreciate that too. And I mean, it was, um, you know, seeing the NICU environment from the inside was something that really challenged me and was what made me want to come out and share all of this because- mm. It was one of these things that I kind of thought that it was just happening. And then when I uh, got inside of a NICU environment and spent some time there, then I saw that it's not happening nearly fast enough for my liking. Uh (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I'm curious, you talked a lot about mm-hmm. melatonin and I know that it's a big thing for people to take to like, oh, I'm having trouble sleeping. I'll just take some melatonin. And similarly mm-hmm. with this red light, red light, there's so many people on Instagram now being like, it's winter, you're not getting any sunlight. Use this red light device. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to deny that these technologies have benefits, but it does seem like, to me at least, there's something a little dissonant about using these things that aren't in your natural environment do you have any thoughts on that or like how supplemental Mm -hmm. melatonin impacts your melatonin how this red light when you wouldn't be getting it outside would impact your biology yeah definitely uh two huge topics there and yeah the melatonin question I get all the time and the red light question is uh starting to come up because it is becoming so trendy oh yeah um so I'll do melatonin first um for every day, um, I definitely don't recommend melatonin supplementation because what we want instead is to uh, facilitate the body making its own melatonin. It can make its own melatonin. So we don't need to supplement with it. And the supplements uh, can be uh, variable in terms of how much melatonin is actually in the supplements. Like they've seen, like they've tested them off the shelf and found like 300 fold variation wow. between what it says on the bottom and what's on the bot, what it says on the bottle and what's actually in it. And so it's like, you know, so if you do want to supplement with melatonin, uh, I recommend working with a healthcare provider who can get medical grade melatonin for you because that will actually be standardized. Um, and from from my perspective, the main reasons to do that would be a significant medical condition. So um, one would be uh, preeclampsia. Uh, if a woman has preeclampsia and is, you know, going to medical treatment for that, if she can work in melatonin to her treatment, it's, um, I mean, the people who are looking into it, they're like, wow, this is the first advance we've had in preeclampsia care in 50 years of research wow. uh, because they've been approaching preeclampsia from the blood pressure problem. And that's just a symptom and it's not yeah. getting at the actual thing that's going wrong, um, which is basically through the placenta. Um, so women, when they're pregnant have an, ec- there, there's let me back up a little bit. There are four ways that we get melatonin. <laughs> we get melatonin. Like I said, the pineal melatonin is under circadian control and it's controlled by our light environment. Um, then there is cellular melatonin and we get that from infrared light. So that's what people are doing with their red light panels is stimulating melatonin. Um, anytime there's sunlight, there's also infrared light in it. Mm. Um, and so that infrared light stimulates cellular melatonin. And then we also get uh, melatonin from our microbiome. So supporting and having a healthy microbiome Mm. gives us another source. And then we get some from our diet. Um, so those are the four sources, but pregnant women have another source because the placenta also produces melatonin that goes both ways. It nourishes oh, the amazing. baby and it also helps the mom. So women, when they're pregnant, should have ever-increasing um, circulating melatonin all the way to the point of birth, which will be um, a peak of like some of the highest melatonin a person would ever have in their entire life would be that pregnant woman at the time of birth. And 
okay, so there's like the sources of melatonin that we would have. So ideally, you're optimizing melatonin by a combination of circadian rhythm, of adequate solar exposure, of facilitating a healthy microbiome, and eating a healthy diet. Uh, so that's how we should be getting our melatonin. Um, however, in that acute case, like if a woman hasn't been doing all of that and is then coming down with preeclampsia, then that would be a time to work with the doctor to actually get melatonin really quickly um, too, because it can actually prolong pregnancy and protect her baby. Um, and then another case in pregnancy would be for a labor that has stalled or that's being augmented with Pitocin. If a woman needs synthetic oxytocin, then it's likely that having synthetic melatonin would be beneficial in that case because it will um, reduce the pain associated with it and also make her uterus more receptive to that Pitocin. So she could potentially have a lower dose of Pitocin if she's using melatonin at the same time. So those are the two cool. cases that I've looked at the research and been like, okay, for a woman with preeclampsia, severe, or for a woman who's having a Pitocin in her labor, then those are the only cases that I can really think of that, um, you know, around prenatal that I would recommend supplementing. So other than that, it's working on all those, all those other things that I mm -hmm. um, talked about. So the infrared panels and red light therapy uh, for the other part of your question, um, that is just mimicking firelight. So humans tamed fire so long ago and is one of our superpowers that did enable us to conquer the North. Um, all of my ancestors lived at like 40 to 60 degree um, latitudes. And, you know, so I'm really interested in that area of, and all of the traditional practices around like sweat lodges or sauna or being near hot springs, like all of that is a way to um, get more heat. So I do definitely agree with getting more heat in the wintertime um, that we can make ourselves. And so right now people are using red light panels because they, uh, are living in cities where they basically are legally disallowed from having a fireplace. So if you can have a fireplace, even a glass front fireplace, like that is a red light panel as well in that infrared light. And so these red light devices are just kind of tapping into that ancestral thing that we used to do, uh, using fire. That's amazing. I was cooking the other day and I realized like every 10 minutes I would finish a task and just walk over to the fire for a couple of minutes and then back to the kitchen again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I was pregnant last winter um, and you mentioned having the winter baby. And so I've had, um, I have one in each season. I had a spring baby and then a fall baby and then a winter baby and then a summer baby. Mm -hmm. And while I was pregnant in the winter this last year and I was having morning sickness, the most reliable relief I had was lifting up my shirt and putting my belly up next to the coals in the fireplace. Whoa. And while I would be standing there feeling fire, my nausea would completely go away. And so I was just constantly going back to the fireplaces. Like that was my, my solace. That's amazing. <laughs> that was my relief. Mm -hmm. Wow. Any thoughts? This is more of a personal question than a podcast question. Any thoughts on restless legs in relation to pregnancy, circadian rhythms, all that stuff? Oh, my goodness. I mean, grounding, definitely. And I know that you're in the winter. And so um, I put, um, I got leather grounding shoes. Um, there's a company over here in Oregon that uh, makes handmade shoes. They're called uh, Soft Star. 
and they have sheepskin lining. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, having some leather shoes with sheepskin to be able to still go outside and get that earthing is um, really, really important for inflammation. This uh, restless leg issue a lot, you know, can like there can be mineral issues and and things there. And so optimizing digestion is really important for that. Um, The, you know, the nutritional needs are significantly higher in pregnancy and it can be really, really difficult. So for myself, when I've had restless leg, it usually comes in a time where I'm feeling stressed out, where I may be skipping breakfast or not eating as much as I should be. Um, and I used to, I got them, I had restless leg a lot when I was a teen as well, which is another period of like high growth. Mm -hmm. And so that it is definitely a combination of the, um, yeah, the nutrition and and mineral content. And then also with the stress level and that's, uh, inflammation is, it's oxidative stress in the immune system, particularly, Mm -hmm. um, And that's one of the things you can look at, um, you know, people will take pictures of people while they ground and you can watch from the feet up. And it's just amazing because you can see the inflammation because it's heat and you can just watch across the hours, um, you know, like you start seeing an effect almost immediately. And so at first, like the whole legs are all red and icky. And then slowly the like blue and green tones of like the more normal temperatures will start coming. So even um, up to like at three hours, there's still increasing benefit. And that's where a lot of people are finding um, success from lifelong health complications by uh, setting up grounded sleep environments. So people mm-hmm. are getting grounded sheets. And then if you think about that, that is like hours of uh, grounded experience Um if you live in a city, I recommend working with a building biologist to set up your grounded sleep environment because there can be a lot of other frequencies. So in some cases, people have accidentally created like antennas where the electricity is flowing through because they have this Whoa. grounded space that is then like attracting of everything. Um, <laughs> so it is good to work with a building biologist in that context of like a large urban environment, particularly. But if you do live like out in the woods, like where I live, like we can just flip our breakers off in the bedroom. And then we know that, you know, if there's any Wi-Fi signals, like we're the only ones that have it around mm-hmm. here. So if we turn off our Wi-Fi at night, because um, the the non-native electrical frequencies have specific biological effects on us. One of the biggest one is um, that we have these voltage gated channels inside of our cells. And so when the non-native electrical frequencies come through, they will because they're charge gated, it will open the the channels for these and then flood our cells with calcium and calcium has a positive charge. Mm. And this is a really big deal. Like osteoporosis is something that's growing and you see osteoporosis, like that's a problem in calcium metabolism mm. and the wrong parts of the body getting um, calcified. Um, we also like have heard about like pineal calcification mm-hmm. uh, That's another severe complication of modern world. And so that can be uh, exacerbated by not of frequencies. So getting those reduced in the environment and the grounded sleep can really help with reducing um, inflammation and discomfort of any kind of like joint, leg, um, you know, that kind of thing. That's amazing. So let's bring it back to how does all this knowledge sort of integrate into your daily lifestyle with your kids? What does it look like in your house, in your rhythms? 
how do you work this into your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, great question. So we um, have shifted things a lot. I used to, um, you know, like when I had my first daughter, we like I so I grew up in a rural environment. And then when I left home, I went to university and was kind of like, I'm gonna go and be a big shot OBGYN. <laughs> and I was going to school and wow. like studying so much and taking um and I got a job that was working online um, to help pay for all of that education. And I started having health troubles um, in my immune system, uh, allergic contact dermatitis and like um, really severe seasonal allergies. And, you know, like crippling, like couldn't do anything because the allergies were so bad just wow. from like breathing. And, pe- you know, people told me that, oh, it's just normal. You get allergies as you age. And like when I went to the doctor with my dermatitis issues, like, you know, what, what is this? And eventually I figured out what my trigger was, which was something really obscure. And they're like, oh, well, you're lucky. Just avoid your trigger. I'm like, other people don't have to avoid this. (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. not helpful. And and so I kind of had to go away from all that. And eventually I figured out that it was um, circadian dysregulation that was causing that because I was, you know, spending so much time online and the job that I had had me up before the sunrise first thing like blasting myself with blue light from the computer so I kind of learned the hard way with technology and eventually um, decided that I did not want the surgical training and to be spending all that time in a surgical environment and that I was you know wanted to go towards um, eventually midwifery Uh, and so I did a doula training and backed off and moved back into a rural environment and so now I have a very very different lifestyle from, you know, cause I grew up in this and I, I wanted different. And then I mm-hmm. ended up coming back to living out here in the forest and, um, and wanting that for my kids just from having experienced the, the health consequences, you know, for me and people are different in how sensitive they are to, you know, EMFs and artificial mm-hmm. light at night and all of that. So now, um, when we wake up in the morning, the very first thing we do is go outside. It doesn't matter what time of day it is. It doesn't matter if we're up before the sun. It doesn't matter if everyone slept in. Like the first thing we do is go outside. Um, and then we're going outside periodically across the morning um, as we're making breakfast. If the sum, if it's summer and the weather's nice, then I like to have just a little um, outdoor kitchenette kind of thing. And we'll oh, even cook breakfast and like do coffee and tea outside. And that way we're getting like light while cooking. And that's a way to just really, you know, maximize that morning time. Um, And then I send my kids out and they play and there's um, chickens and ducks in the orchard. And I don't know if you can hear that. That's where I am right now. I can hear them, but sometimes it comes through the the microphone and sometimes it doesn't, but I can hear them. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And yeah, I homeschool because I know that it's not going to be good for my kids to be under the um, artificial lights all day. The the recess schedules are completely inadequate for children's need for time outside. And Mm -hmm. uh, there's tons of studies that verify that, that that kids need a lot more free time, a lot more uh, play-based learning and a lot more time outside and that... um, all, you know, all health outcomes and academic outcomes are better with that. But the the school uh, systems have, you know, other agendas and goals in mind. Um, 
that don't really allow for that. So I keep my kids and we do different play groups and are involved with a lot of uh, farms around here. And so we go out and do like um, a trade, like we can milk a cow and bring home the milk and we can go and like help with garlic planting. And at the end of the year, we're going to bring garlic home and Mm -hmm. different things like that Uh, and play-based learning groups for the kids. And um, yeah, basically as much time outside as we can. Um, and then try to get an early dinner. And this is really my kryptonite here in the wintertime is uh-huh. trying to get dinner before sunset is just so difficult, especially yeah. if we are like, you know, driving around to, to different things or even just get distracted with our, you know, time here. Um, and then it's a challenge too, because of my online work, like I do support births locally and spend on time but I'm also have kind of um like while I like I mentioned earlier while I was in school I started working online and so I spent a decade working as like a digital marketer and doing web design and and business support and then when I launched my birth business and finally was like okay I'm gonna take this beyond friends I did friends and family for like 10 years and then I was like okay I'm actually gonna do this professionally I'm gonna step out and offer it and then um maybe just because of having been doing computer stuff so long and I started publishing online that I just have had kind of an equal balance or maybe a little bit more weighted towards doing virtual support. Mm-hmm. So like prenatal, um, postpartum and consults and um, even doing virtual birth support. And that's just kind of how it's gone. So I have to be careful with my screen time to and so I like use the the redshift um after sunset and Mm -hmm. really try to limit myself to not use it before bed and um you know like to not turn it on before I've gone out and had my time outside things like that to maintain my um my own well-being Mm -hmm. and dinner we often do by candlelight in the winter because of it it is so hard to get it in before full sunset especially when it's like 4 p.m uh now we're getting out to like 5 30 sunsets but the kids love having the candlelit dinner like it's not just for romance although it is good for that when you understand that oh melatonin is synergistic with oxytocin can give you know like we know that you know we think of it as being romantic but it's also as cozy for the family and um for kids who are not used to having dark nights it can be a, a good buffer mm-hmm. for them too because candles are exciting you know they're dangerous there's rules around <laughs> candles and mm-hmm. you know it's a good learning experience and it's and it's ancestral and like your biology responds to the candles and um so having a candle at dinner is just a great way and then like my oldest daughter is starting to get to that puberty age where there's a natural uh, phase delay in their circadian rhythm where they tend to stay up later and sleep in later. And so she often will not be ready to go to bed when, um, you know, I'll put the rest of the kids to bed and then she's still wanting to stay up. So for her, we'll give her that, you know, her little desk and she can, you know, draw by candlelight and mm-hmm. do things. And that's, you know, a lot of kids her age will be like up on the tablet at that night, which oh, is yeah. really destructive. And, um, again, like we know that melatonin problems are implicated in fertility problems. And so a lot of girls are coming into puberty with like, as soon as they get their cycle, it's like PCOS and really painful cramps and all this stuff. And 
Um, so like the time of puberty is a time where there's physiologically the nocturnal melatonin is going to start to fall and fall across the rest of the lifespan. And for kids that have uh, precocious puberty, their melatonin has already fallen. It's fallen early. And so that it, the melatonin is inhibiting the, for the puberty process. And so if melatonin is uh, destroyed too much, then that's where we see girls like having their periods coming at nine instead of like between mm. 12 and 16, which it used to be. Um, so artificial light at night can actually bring on puberty faster as well as wow. weight trouble, as well as like the painful periods and all of that. Um, and then likewise, we don't know why it happens, but in women in girls who have delayed puberty, then we see that that nocturnal melaton melatonin is still really high, like in childhood. And uh, we don't really know why that happens for some that they don't have that physiological drop in melatonin, but it's a big, huh. a big change. So there's different kind of different needs across the lifespan in terms of sleep. So you try yeah. not to use any lights after the sun goes down? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or we'll use um, red, like we've had these little battery powered amber sleep lights, which I recommend mm -hmm. for all, all families who are in the childbearing time. Um, and then you can use these little like motion sensitive red lights, um, red or amber, because it won't trigger the melatonin, but you still can see mm -hmm. and not, um, you know, trip and fall. That's important too. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, then, yeah, I can use, like I have, um, salt lamp we tried a bunch of different things we have strips of like little tiny red led lights that we, you can like run along like in a movie theater if you think about how that lighting looks you know uh -huh. you can still see where your feet go That's um fun. but just not so there's like you don't want to have it overhead so sometimes i see people and they have you know their homes are all red which is like great they've blocked out the blue frequencies but they still have these like really bright overhead lights uh -huh. and we have different receptors that come from light this way versus light this way if you think about the sun as it's going down and so for your for nighttime like I have the overhead lights bright white light we want that stimulation during the day and then we have like lamps that are more like mid-level and then we have lights all the way on the floor so across the evening we just kind of shift and so it's like oh you know, the sun's going down. So now we'll turn off the overheads and turn on the lamps and then like, okay, now like the sun's really going down. We'll turn off the lamps and turn on the floor lights, um, That's around amazing. like toothbrushing time. And it all makes so much sense. Yeah. And it's fun that... too. Like once you get used to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely an adjustment. Like my computer yeah. does the red light it shift is. thing at night and my partner and I watched the Barbie movie a couple of weeks ago. And the whole thing was just orange. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like we didn't get the pink of the Barbie. Right. Some, some things you can't see. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I was just on um, a sleep podcast. I was on a couple of sleep podcasts recently, but one of them, she has had like over 150 episodes and she was asking about my nighttime routine. And so I talked about this. There's like TV. Um, and then there's like books and stories and then there's lullabies. And so mm -hmm. to me, lullabies are the gold standard for bedtime. And she said, wow, all these episodes, no one has ever mentioned lullabies as part Aww. of their nighttime routine. 
And that was something like my husband was the one who, when my daughter was young, he's like, you have to sing to her. He's a musician. Uh-huh. <laughs> you have to sing to her. So I was like, okay, I started doing it. And then now like all of the kids uh, will sing the lullabies um, at night. And so sometimes there will be like a show. And like you said, we have the really, really um, red screen on there and then try to watch uh, calm shows with the kids too mm-hmm. at that nighttime um, with the volume low too, because sound mm-hmm. is also a circadian trigger. And then um, next would be like story, reading stories by candlelight, but that's still kind of visually stimulating. And so that's like the next level down. And then, like I said, the gold standard to me is lullabies with the singing and the voice and it it hits a part of the brain. Um, And my kids will be just wild sometimes. And then it'll be like, okay, sing with me. And then, you know, halfway through the first lullaby, <laughs> they're all starting to yawn and it's, you know, it's calming to the physiology mm-hmm. and, um, you know, you can use the same songs and it kind of just sets the tone for, for the evening. That's really That's nice. So sweet. Yeah. It's a cozy, cozy time of day, that bedtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've seen other places too, like when we, uh, have had like a sleepover, um, like as a family, like out of town, go stay with relatives. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the bright lights, my kids aren't used to it. And uh, for the other people, they'll just see it as normal. And it's like, the kids will all be like bouncing off the walls and like crazy. <laughs> and it's like, time for bed. like, okay, let's start dimming the lights. And You know, what? <laughs> like, you know, that doesn't do it. I'm like, watch and you know dim the lights and sure enough you know within 10 minutes the kids have all like settled down and they're sitting on the couch snuggling and you know mm-hmm. just um because it it's it's a physiological trigger to you know if, if those lights are on then cortisol is flowing this has given me so many ideas of things to incorporate into my own life and I hope it's been helpful for people listening um are there anything like anything in addition that you would do for pregnancy or things in your environment for birth or for postpartum? I think we've had most like these, uh, you know, it's really that, that daytime light and nighttime darkness are just really, really key to programming the hormones mm-hmm. and giving them the cues that the body is expecting. And like I said, I, I can't say enough about how good it is as a protective factor and a way to boost and make everything else that you're doing all the more potent. You know, mm-hmm. like if you're you're eating food, you might as well get the most of it by eating it at the Why right time that? of day. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else? What else could there be? Um, hmm. Yeah, I think we've done a great job of covering things. Is there something specifically like, so I was reading recently that sweat lodge was used for pregnant women, which now they're very anti that heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, women are supposed to be very cautious about heat, but that, you know, I was reading, I was like, okay, well, that's interesting because, you know, in the past um, we were deliberately giving pregnant women a, a more heat and that is, you know, the heat is something like our body absorbs that and can use it as energy and use it for healing um, and creating a baby. I guess we could talk just so maybe a little tiny bit more about sleep because it's especially important for the first trimester okay. um, for sleep. So just really, really important when as soon as you find out you're pregnant or as soon as you think that you might be wanting to get pregnant to optimize sleep with that cool, dark bedroom. 
um, because the first, like the early stages of pregnancy are so foundational and that is when the placenta is being formed. Mm -hmm. And so before the placenta is formed, the mom's melatonin is the entire show. And if her melatonin isn't high enough, then the placenta can form and not be, um, and not grow large enough with like all of the deep roots that the placenta needs to make for all of mm-hmm. the exchange to go on. So, um, first trimester sleep can be, uh, if it's really disrupted, can be a big problem for the placenta and then the placenta won't be able to produce enough melatonin. And so that's, um, that's where the seeds of preeclampsia are set and, um, growth restriction and placental insufficiency, all mm-hmm. of that stuff is started in the first trimester. So, first trimester sleep is just so, so, so important. If there was anything that I could recommend to women, if they want to have a good pregnancy and apply circadian, um, circadian biology, it would be to focus on sleep and sleep way more than you think. Um, like you need not just eight hours, um, more like if you could spend half of your day in bed during the first trimester, Mm -hmm like 12 hours (laughs) that that would be more physiological. And I know women go through huge amounts of fatigue and, and oftentimes will beat themselves up and feel so guilty Mm -hmm. for it. And, um, so I wish that people could take more time off from work in their first trimester and spend more time in bed because that will give them the healthy placenta that will see them all the way out to a full-term pregnancy. Um, that's not complicated by growth restriction and, um, that if they can grow that healthy placenta, the placenta will nourish them and, and help prevent preeclampsia and all that icky stuff, support their liver. Um, you know, everything that we need to see is really set in the first trimester. So yeah, I think that would be my biggest piece of advice. Mm -hmm. And then, but also that it's never too late. Um, you can start picking this stuff anytime. Sometimes wrong or you know and 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 feel bad when they hear this information it's like no now this is your sign this is your moment and you can move forward and um there's never a point in life that it's too late like even all the way out to dementia um patients have improved symptoms when they start correcting their circadian rhythms so wow anytime anytime that you can start having a brighter day and a darker night you can see health um turn around for the better and it does all just come back to yeah. Do you have any more alignment questions and being in connection with nature? Yeah, yeah, it is, uh, and I love that it's so accessible. Like anyone who has freedom in their movement, freedom in their day to day, can go outside and get more sunshine. They can choose not to turn on the overhead lights at night. Right? It's it's very accessible. Um, it's not it's not expensive treatments. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose with that inspiration, maybe I'll go for a little snowy, dark and cloudy, but the sun hasn't set yet walk for a couple minutes. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's great. Good idea. <laughs> and I love this podcasting yeah, outside that bring you're your doing. Baby it looks amazing. Can. Yeah, it's it's nice. Whenever I can, I will because yeah, getting the, the light is just so nice in a way to spend the time and sometimes uh, I think we get so stimulated in our brains that it can almost seem boring or like hard to spend as much time because and there's also so much to do in the house like especially as a mom I'll find like oh like the dishes the sweeping the laundry the this the that and then you know next thing I know easy to spend a whole day just taking care of the home and 
and hard to prioritize more than even just a few minutes outside. So mm-hmm. it's uh, nice to find little ways to work it in, like the outdoor kitchen, like an indoor outdoor workspace, like, um, yeah, podcasting outside. <laughs> yeah, hanging laundry outside. That's my favorite. Oh, Sometimes even in the winter, I'm like, it's going to freeze, but then it'll dry. Yeah, I know. I can't do that here in Oregon because it's so damp. But sometimes we wish that we did live further north for that Mm -hmm. little bit colder time. (laughs) So it's been a couple weeks, actually, since we recorded that episode because I recorded an outro originally on my little microphone recording device, which I then lost. So here we have second outro. Which is great because it gives me even more time to reflect on how I've been processing this information that we talked about. And I think the one thing that is really sticking with me that I think I mentioned in the interview is how cool it is that you can go really deep into the science. And I've been really enjoying her Substack, Brighter Days, Darker Nights. There's so much there and it's just so much fun to get a little nerdy about. But on the other hand, you can also, and I do both of these depending on like the time of my cycle, the time of day, how much I feel like thinking versus feeling. You can also just feel into what does my animal body need? What would make it feel the safest, the most close to nature, to where we evolved, to where, to what our original home was? And how can I make my home more like the earth home? Um, in all ways except for heat because I would be very very cold if my house was as cold as it is outside. Um, So in relation to her Substack, she has an amazing discount offer for our podcast listening community. If you go to brighterdaysdarkernights.com slash Catskills Birth Collective, you can get a 15% off coupon. Well, it's not a coupon, it's just a discount for her Substack. Um, the information there is amazing. It goes so in-depth and covers so many different um, parts of life, um, and I definitely recommend it. Her website is nico, N-I-K-K-O, kennedy.com, and I'll put all these links, obviously, in the show notes, um, and you can find her on Instagram at brighterdays.darkernights. That's all for today. Thank you so much for listening. I was actually contemplating having her on the podcast again on one, one day um, because there's so many more questions that I want to ask her. Um, so if you have any questions for Nico or any other guest ideas or just thoughts in general, let us know. <laughs>